Today, most schools and colleges rely on some sort of learning management system, or LMS, as a digital hub for every class. Back when such software was still a pretty new idea, Martin Dugiamos created an open source learning platform he called Moodle. Today, it's used as an LMS in educational settings around the world, and it's pretty much become Dugiamos' life work. If you ever wondered why it's called Moodle, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jeff Young. For this week's EdSurge podcast, my colleague Tony Wan caught up with Dugiamos in his office in Perth, Australia. Well, by phone, anyway. Tony asked him what it's been like to go from the upstart to an incumbent that startups are now trying to compete with. And they talked about what's changed and what hasn't changed in teaching and learning over the 17 years or so he's been running the project. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the EdSurge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. I'm here with Martin Dugiemas. He's the founder and CEO of Mudo. Uh, Martin, it's a pleasure to have you here on the EdSurge podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and congratulations for getting the name pretty much right. So across the... Uh, Across the EdTech industry, uh, Mudo is perhaps one of the most recognizable tools and brands out today. I mean, it also helps, of course, that you've got a pretty fun-sounding name that rolls off the tongue quite nicely. Um, so I want to start off, um, Martin, how did you come up with that name, Mudo? So in the very beginning, when it was just an idea, uh, and I was uh, starting to write some code, I had to name that folder something for the first bit of code. Uh, and so that was when I actually sat down, before I'd written anything, uh, and brainstormed a lot of words. It took me about two hours, I think. Had to be a domain name that was free. Had to be something that uh, would work with search engine optimization. It had to be um, uh, something you could say. And also, I like acronyms. And so it ended up, in the very beginning, being Martin's Object Oriented Dynamic Learning Environment. Uh, I, I changed the Martin to Modular uh, as soon as anyone else started using it because oh, that's, a bit, that's a bit much, <laughs> and it made more, made more sense anyway. Great. Um, now, Moodle is most often referred to as a learning management system uh, or an LM LMS for short. Um, but as I understand it, that's not quite how you would describe what Moodle is. Is that correct? Yeah, that's. It, I prefer the word. Uh, I prefer to say learning platform. Uh, yes, we are focused on any case when learning occurs or when uh, education is occurring those situations vary a lot and the management of those vary a lot so and as i was saying before with the modularity of it as a platform uh moodle allows everybody to make their own lms so sometimes we we call it an lms maker you take moodle and all its tools and and flexible modularity and you build the perfect lms for that particular uh case that school that university, that workplace. A little bit more about the Moodle uh, ecosystem. So there's there's your core team, the Moodle team, and as I understand yeah. it, there are also partner businesses and also a community that's grown up around the Moodle open source uh, platform. Um, can you describe to me you know, the interplay between the different uh, you know, these different pieces of the Moodle ecosystem and maybe how each of them have kind of evolved over the years? So sustainability of this project has been my major focus from the beginning. Uh, I had seen too many open source projects uh, start, 
flourish and fail uh, because they hadn't considered sustainability. They were operating on grants or, or something like that. Uh, so the business model of Moodle is totally designed to support the project but still achieve the mission of uh, providing the software for free, open source, uh, and has all the benefits that it does. So the structure that we have uh, is a, a central company, Moodle Proprietary Limited. That's a, it's like Moodle Inc. in the US. Uh, it's not a non-profit because non-profits are very hard to start in Australia, um, and we are going to rectify that soon. But it operates as a non-profit. Uh, basically, all profits always go back in. There's no, nobody's uh, taking all the cash out the top. So the company runs uh, a core team of uh, around 50 people now, and that's grown very in a very uh, linear fashion uh, since the beginning, about 15 years ago, uh, nearly 15. Uh, those 50 people are probably about half developers, and the other half are uh, people who work on documentation, on communications, running the community, uh, financial stuff, um, and looking after the other parts of the Moodle you know, ecosystem. So around that, we have uh, most of our uh, income comes from partner companies, Moodle partners, and Moodle partners are certified companies that do services. So they do hosting, consulting, training, custom development, um, all sorts of things like that. And uh, if people say they want a phone to call to get some help, that's where you would get that from, a Moodle partner. So we have 85 or so partners around the world, uh, and uh, they contribute roughly 10% of their gross revenue towards the Moodle company and, and the Moodle project. And that's the major source of the funding there. Now, um, you know, in every market there is, um, you know, where you're selling products and services, there's competition um, generally of a healthy nature between the uh, you know, the established, the incumbent players and the uh, upstarts and the startups. Um, as you see, uh, as you think about where Mudo is in relative uh, to the other players in the market, is Mudo the incumbent or the upstart? Where do you see uh, Mudo, you know, in the market today? Uh, look, it, it, I have to say, to be completely honest, it was fun being the upstart uh, when, when we were. Um, the, it's, uh, the initial take-up of Moodle was accelerating very, very quickly. Um, now I'd say Moodle is fairly mainstream. Uh, and that puts us in a very different position because we, uh, we focus a lot on more on stability, on uh, providing uh, compatibility. And as a platform, you know, if you have uh, educators moving from one institution to another, they take their knowledge of Moodle from here, they go to there, they use Moodle there, right? We, if they uh, have courses and content, you want it to be compatible when they install, you know, copy a, a, across to another Moodle site. Um, the, those issues become more important. And we are playing a different game completely from most, uh, I would say, startups in edtech. Um, we're, not, uh, we're not driven by the exponential curve, uh, the, 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 the need to make certain amounts of profit. We're not profit-driven at all. We're, the mission is to empower educators. So our duty is to the people who use Moodle. Uh, our duty is to create a place where we are empowering educators, where we are supporting 
education and and particularly for me most importantly public education um public education which is so often uh badly funded uh mistreated in many countries and uh needs the help right so that's our our goal and there's a lot of people working in public education who are a massive moodle supporters because um they realize that through this project we're sharing a lot of resources around the world a lot of you know somebody who comes up with an innovation in um south africa for example is going to uh, help someone in japan is going to help somebody in the us is going to help someone in brazil um and so educators and academics who uh it, it's very compatible with their thinking and and uh, and how research in general works in the world so um uh really i would be happy if we had 100 institutions only using moodle it would be still heaps of work to do right we still have plenty to do mm-hmm. the fact that we have millions and millions of users around the world counting on us uh is something that just keeps us all driven every day uh we have a lot to do and the 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 world is still coming onto the internet really there's still uh it's it's a huge huge um space How have you seen the uh you know the competitive landscape change over time um you know the players who were in this space maybe 10 years ago versus now um or maybe another way to ask this is another way of this question is how have your users uh, needs also changed over the time that you since you've started Mudo Uh yeah very good question um there's been a lot of companies come and gone there's been a lot of um technologies and uh come and gone what is constant is the nature of a learning institution uh schools and universities are not disappearing quickly and that the the whole need for people to get together into groups and learn things is not going to go away the whole need for a teacher a good a good educator to facilitate learning of those groups is not going to go away uh it doesn't matter what technology we're using we could all be sitting here with ar headsets um and uh you know neural interfacing to the internet in 10 20 years um but these things are still going to happen these basic structures are still going to happen at least i want to see them happening um some edtech uh seems to be going towards the you know everyone with neural interfaces directly on the internet learning off machines and ais and that's a very depressing prospect so that's a dystopia that i want to try and avoid so i'm all about people getting together I'm about community I'm about that sort of stuff um so over the years what i've seen is um you know there's a lot of uh talk from uh edtech companies about disrupting education about destroying old models about you know quite violent language in a way if you're a teacher um when you hear that stuff it's not good um there's also a lot of really great stuff coming uh, around around learning there's there's amazing uh stuff happening all over the world obviously on the internet um where you can learn things yourself and you know information and uh being free is open educational resources is is where it's all at there's so much of that going on um but those are always a part of the education process so they're not going to replace it um you're not going to become you're not going to go from you know 2 years old up to 20 years old just completely learning from apps on your device that would be quite sad sure they're going to help it 
an educator is going to bring that into the classroom. Uh, the students are going to bring that, those things into the classroom, and it all uh, becomes a nice uh, a nice collection of things. I'm rambling, but what I'm uh, hopefully I'm making sense. What I'm what I'm trying to get to is that I, I think there's a place for everything. I don't think there's an either or situation where this product is going to take over the universe. Um, I think there always needs to be uh, a mix of things that bind people together, that organise information and organise processes, and then there are going to be things that teach specific things or provide specific experiences that are useful, and it's about bringing all that together. So in what ways do you think technology has made the most impact on teaching and learning since you've been at this for over 10 years, probably approaching 20 years now, right? I would say um, that uh, it's certainly, uh, it's increased the amount of information in the process. The amount of resources that are available has skyrocketed, obviously. Um, The... Uh, the ability for things to be more asynchronous is fantastic. That's something that I think we've all uh, um, really appreciated in using technology in general. And, you know, learning is, is, is all the things... I mean, most people are learning all day, if you think about it. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I think I think those are the two the two major things, and and I think that's really compatible with this uh, notion of how things are becoming more fluid. Well, look here we are having a conversation. You know, it's nighttime in California. There, it's the morning here in Australia. Um, it's actually a holiday today, but I don't care because the you know those old structures of you work here and you don't work here, they they they're becoming very fluid now. You know, you you mix it up. Your life is your work. Your work is your life. Um, and for those of us in the first world. Uh, we have this luxury. Um, I hope we can spread it to the rest of the world uh, and give everybody those opportunities too. Uh, on the flip side of the question, um, what hasn't changed? You know, from my neck of the woods, uh, you know, as you referenced, there's a lot of people talking about disrupting education or models of schooling. But from your perspective, uh, you know, despite all these advances and cool apps and gadgets, um, what hasn't changed about teaching and, and learning? What hasn't changed is that we're still operating with this, with brain. We have this lump of meat that we're all carrying around, um, and fun- learning is that that's where learning is going on. There are biological limitations on learning um, that uh, are not going to change very quickly. The um, you know, short of uh, matrix-style downloading helicopter instructions being invented in the future, but the. Um, the way our brain works means that we need to undertake certain activities to really learn things. And when I say learning, I mean deep learning. I'm not talking about watching a video. Watching a video isn't really learning. And if you study how your brain is watching a video, I mean, try and remember a video you watched last week, for example. It's quite difficult because a lot of the stuff that we think of as learning is actually entertainment. It passes the time, we feel good while we're doing it, and it goes out, it's gone. Um, Maybe a little bit of it stays around if we really focused on it or if we really made an effort to try and remember those things. But unless we're purposefully learning, unless we have a learning situation where we are actively trying to learn something, it's not happening. So um, those 
if you look at the neuroscience work today, it's a lot of it is confirming some of the basic education principles that have been figured out over the last hundreds of years, thousands of years even. You can go back to the Greeks, ancient Greeks. So those things don't change. What I hope doesn't change is that uh, we keep people involved in the education process. As I said before, I, I really believe that humanity as a whole will suffer if we allow everybody to crawl into their own filter bubble and just become so specialized at one thing that they don't have the ability to interact uh, globally, across cultures, um, to, to understand and, and empathize with issues of people on the other side of the world. I mean, a massive bomb just got dropped on Afghanistan yesterday. Um, this, this kind of behavior uh, is not good for humanity as a whole, right? So how do, we, how do we get the world to be a better place, really? And in my opinion, this is the role of education. Education, organized education needs to take that on and really drive that. So I hope that doesn't change. Um, because otherwise, this is not going to be a very good world. What gets you the most excited yeah. when you wake up uh, in the morning and uh, don on the uh, huh. the Mudo hat? <laughs> well, look, when you when you have a company and a, and a and a community, and when you have a product, uh, you are constantly focused on what is not happening, right? You you are you have a big to do list of things that aren't happening as good as they could be, and so. Uh, you know, uh, I want to fix all those things. Um, I talk to Moodle users all over the world all the time. I travel a lot. And I'm always, you know, they'll say, oh, this is giving me problems. And I'm like, I oh, feel for you. I really want to make that stop. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, people uh, who, uh, who, who care and are driving it. We're all working together. Uh, last yeah. question before we go. Um, what do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing Moodle? Yeah, I, it's very hard to imagine. I, I look, I, I nearly, I got a job offer at Netscape Communications back in the day. Uh, that was kind of like the first big Silicon Valley startup, uh, on internet startup. Right. I, I nearly moved to California to to join that, and uh, I didn't. I wonder what would have happened to my life if I had. Um, I also wanted to go to MIT Media Lab, and I, I, I was uh, very keen on that at one point. Um, I, I must say, though, my, if I look at my life, all the threads of it point to this. Uh, I, my early education was distance education. I, until I was 12, I did all my schooling on uh, shortwave radio from the centre of Australia. Um, I ended up working at universities uh, because I was interested in the, the activities there, the, the research and the learning going on there. I've, I've always had interest here, so it all seems to lead to this, so maybe... I would just be doing this. I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, I think you've been, you know, one of the uh, most persistent and consistent brands out there and what you've done with Nudo. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Well, keep, keep an eye on us for the next 17 years. We've got some things to show, I think. This has been the Answer John Air podcast. Special thanks to Tony Wan for stepping in with the podcast interview this week. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. If you're new to the podcast, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or go check out our archive there. And you can send suggestions for ideas for future guests to feedback at edsurge.com. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. 
Thanks for listening.